but every time we celebrate something, <laughs> it's always my favorite time. Every day is good for me. John chapter 20, and we'll start at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then when they went, then went in also the other disciple, which came in first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not that the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be a gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I have ascended unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that, um, that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken these things unto her. May the Lord add the blessings to the reading of his word, and everyone said, Amen. Lord, helping us this morning, I'm going to preach on the resurrection, the resurrection. And, this, you know, Nathan, when Nathan gets up to preach, he always says, you know, his, his um, uh, thing that he's noted for his style. I've got a three-point message. He likes to give a three-point message. But this morning, I'm going to give you something that you've never had before. I am going to give you a 12-point message. A 12-point message. I sure am. Because I'm going to do an acronym on resurrection. On resurrection. I was, you know, praying and asking the Lord to, to help me, you know, with, with a message for today, something that was unique, something that, that I haven't uh, uh, touched on yet. And, you know, I've got so many messages about uh, Easter and uh, resurrection and, you know, likewise, you know, uh, Good Friday, you know, when, when he's crucified, all, all, you know, I've got so many messages and, you know, Christmas and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And, but even as a pastor, you know, I just like to get something fresh. And as I was 
praying yesterday, I, this just popped into my mind, you know, do an acronym on the resurrection. And so I'll really try to keep it as brief as I can. <laughs> but we'll see. You know how it is sometimes. You just kind of get long-winded. But um, anyway, uh, this will be a first, a 12-point message uh, on, on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, if I could entitle this, we're going to call it Facts Because of the Resurrection. Facts Because of the Resurrection. So we're going to start out with the letter R. And we're going, to, we're going to look at this as resuscitation, resuscitation. And the process of resuscitation is reviving someone from unconsciousness or apparent death. You know, we've all heard the stories and, of those who have died and the process of resuscitation was, was, had, had gone forward and, and, you know, either with mouth to mouth or, you know, just you know, Peter could probably tell you a whole lot more about this than I could, or, or Sister Carolyn. You know, they, there's times where people are just totally out of it. They're, 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 they don't have any uh, heart monitor or, or, or anything, and so they get the paddles out, you know, and clear, you know, you know and, and everybody, you know, and the body shakes and everything. And, and you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, the people are resuscitated and, and you know, their, their heart starts beating and they get a pulse and so on. But you know, what's so beautiful about the resurrection of Christ is because of his resurrection, he brought you and I, he resuscitated us and brought you and I back to life. I've got so many uh, scriptures here this morning. In uh, Romans 5, 12, and 19, Wherefore, by as one man sinned into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedient many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. You know, we're, we're, we're all, uh, there's, there's nobody exempt from this. Everybody is born uh, away from God. It's, it's part of our Adamic nature. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 21, the Bible says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Aren't you glad for, for Jesus Christ? In, in Romans 14, 9, the Bible says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, or resuscitated. Amen. That he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ was resuscitated by the Holy Ghost? Amen. The Holy Ghost came upon him and uh, he, he came out of that grave. He rose from the dead and he is still alive today. Amen. So moving on, we, uh, from uh, the R, we have the E. And we're going to look at the E in the uh, light of eternity. Uh, every human being that has ever existed from Adam and Eve is made in the image of God. That's what the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Therefore, we are eternal because God is eternal. If we're made in His image, God's eternal, so you and I are eternal as well. Whether you accept Christ or not as your Savior, you will live in eternity in heaven or in hell. There's no other options. It's either heaven or hell. No in-between whatsoever. Jesus explained this in detail in Luke chapter 16. 
Uh, and, and I won't go there, but in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, there is a story that Jesus tells about a rich man. And the Bible says this rich man, he fared sumptuously every day. And uh, he just had all the dainties of life. He had, uh, you know, life in the fast lane, a lot of money. But there was this beggar that laid at the gate. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus, you know, the, the Bible says he... You know, he, he wanted the crumbs from the rich man's table, you know, and, and the Bible says he was so, so pitiful that even the dogs would come around him. He was so, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lack of life, a lack of energy uh, that the dogs would come and literally lick the sores that were on his legs, on his body. You know, that, that, that's pretty bad when, when, you, when you're that far down that even the animals come and, and start, uh, you know, uh, uh, spending time licking your wounds and things like that. But the, the Bible goes on to say in that narrative that they both died. And the rich man, the Bible says, he went to hell. But it says also that the, 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 the poor man, Lazarus, went to Abraham's bosom. And, uh, you know, and so he... The, the one that had nothing had everything at the end, and the one that had everything had nothing at the end. Matter of fact, the rich man was so far out of it, it you know, when he was held, the Bible says that while he was in torments, he looked up and he could see Abraham and, and Lazarus afar off, and there was a gulf, there was a, there was a separation between them. Now, I've always thought this interesting, and, and this is just a little my perspective, but, you know, the Bible says there was a gulf that separated them, and he could see Lazarus and Abraham, but it doesn't say that Abraham and Lazarus could see him in hell. And I always thought that maybe one of the torments of hell is everybody will be able to see what's heavenly, but what's heavenly will never be able to see what's in hell. You know, that would be a torment within itself, wouldn't it? But uh, the, the rich man, while he was in hell, he, he lifted up and he says, man, if I could just have a drop of water to, to, to put on my tongue. He said, if I could just, somebody could just quench my thirst, you know, and, uh, but, but it, it didn't happen. And he said, oh, that somebody would go tell my, my family, my brothers, you know, that, that where I'm at. And, and, and the, the Bible says that they didn't believe anybody else. They didn't believe the law and the prophets. And that's why you're here, because you don't believe. And so it's all about eternity. It's a decision that you and I have to make in this life. Once you die, there's no other opportunity. There's no other chance. There's no other choice in the matter. We make that decision today. Amen. Moving right along, the letter S, uh, we'll call that salvation. This is the most important issue in a person's life. You might think, well, it's my house, it's my car, it's uh, what I'm wearing. It might be this or that or the other, but no, let me just tell you, salvation should be your number one issue in life. Amen. The definition for salvation is deliverance from sin and its consequences through a faith in Jesus Christ.
Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost in Luke 19.10. That was his whole purpose for becoming a human being. That was his whole purpose, amen, for ministering and expressing himself. That was his whole purpose for, for riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and, 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 and towards the end of Passion Week. They tried him and, and they, went, they did so many horrible things to him. And then he died on the cross and he resurrected. Why did he resurrect? Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you're looking at him right here. I was lost, but he came and he saved my soul. Amen. There would be no salvation without a resurrection. It would not be possible. You, moving right along, you stands for urgency. I have spoken with people over the years I mean, I have, I, have, I have felt the presence of God in dealing with unsaved people, and they were so close to giving their life to the Lord, so ripe, only to read about their tragic death in the newspaper. If you recall, when Jesus was hanging there on the, on the, on the cross, there was a thief on this side and a thief on that side, and, and the one mocked him and said, if thou be the Son of God, get us down from this place. And the other, the other said, man, don't you fear God? Don't you fear him? And he looked at Jesus and said, Master, remember me. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I mean, you talk about urgency. That is the, the, the fastest salvation that I've seen in Scripture. One minute, you're, you're, that, that thief was getting ready to go out into eternity. He, he was getting ready to bust into hell. But Jesus said, today you're going to be with me. Amen. You talk about transformation. That's quick now. Amen. I remember years ago, uh, there was a preacher. He was a good man. His name was L.D. Savage. And when my wife and I were in Bible school, he, he preached there quite a bit. And and uh, I remember one time he was telling the story. He was, he was holding a revival somewhere. And during every night during his revival, there was a young woman, a, a teenage girl, uh, that would come with her family. And she would sit, you know, in the back, and, and she would listen to Brother Savage preach every night. And she would go home, and she would write in her diary before she'd go to bed. She'd, she'd pin something to this effect. Man, I felt the presence of God tonight. I felt the Holy Spirit calling on me to come forward and give my life to Him. But I couldn't do it. The next night, she, she would go to the revival with her family, and, and there'd be a tremendous move of God and an altar call, and people would come forward, and, and then she'd go home, and, and, and then she'd write in her diary, I felt the presence of God again tonight, but I just couldn't go forward. And, and, and then that would go on for another night and another night. And, and she would write the same entry in, in, her, in her diary. I felt the presence of God, but I just can't go forward. Finally, the revival was over. And she went home and with her family. They all went to bed that night. And the next morning, mom hollered for her, said, come, it's time for breakfast. It's ready. The table's set. She heard nothing from her daughter heard nothing. And she went up to get her daughter and her daughter laid in bed dead. She had just died. But her mom took and read her diary that was there by her stand and read all those entries that went through revival. I just couldn't give my life to him. 
You see, salvation is something that's urgent. It's something that, that we're not to trifle with it. The Bible says in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. But how many people put it off from one day to the next and something happens? I've, I've witnessed to people, I witnessed to a young man that was so close to getting saved and the next day he died in an automobile accident. It's an urgent, it's an urgency. Moving right along, uh, uh, R-E-S-U-R, the resurrection is reliable. This is an event that was predicted years ago by the prophets. Jonah the prophet refused to go to Nineveh. We all know that, that story there. And he spent three days in, the, in a whale's belly. In Jonah 1.17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's exactly what happened to him. Amen. Just as the scripture said. But look what Jesus said about Jonah, this whole, this whole narrative of, of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, or Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and resurrect. Amen. He said, I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11 and verse 25. Moving right along, there's another R in that word, in that acronym for resurrection, and I like to call this rock solid. Amen. The resurrection is one of the fundamental truths of Christianity. You can build your life on the fact that he rose from the dead. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, um, I, I didn't write that out, so you can turn there. Uh, in your time, let me just turn there because I didn't write it out. Matthew chapter 7, and we'll read verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken them to a wise man which build his house upon a rock. Now, now, now listen to this. A man that is wise is going to take these facts that Jesus is stating here, and he said, if you listen to them, and if you implement them into your life, you're like a man that is building his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the, the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's talking about life. Amen. 
But we can build our life upon the fact of the resurrection that Jesus did raise from the dead. Amen. Even his own disciples, they wavered after his crucifixion. But when they saw him, when they saw him personally after after he had resurrection, resurrected, they became rock solid in their faith. Matter of fact, if you do a study and, and look at the history of the disciples, how each and every one of them died, amen, they all died for their faith. Why? Because they were rock solid in their relationship with Christ. Moving on, E, essential. It must be believed in order for one to be saved. In Romans 6, 9, 10, and uh, Romans 6, 9, and 10, the Bible says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. But then it goes on, it says, but if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt maybe be saved. Huh? Huh? Okay, let me read it again. If you believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, I'm hoping you get saved. Uh, uh, huh? Huh? Amen. It says, thou shalt be saved. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Amen. When, when you give your life to him, and if you believe in his death and resurrection, thou shalt be saved. Amen is what uh, the apostle Paul told the church at Rome. Jesus' resurrection means that his sacrificial death on the cross was sufficient, and therefore our sins can be forgiven. <clears throat> Excuse me, I read a, a quote by C.S. Lewis, and I thought this was really, really good. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. Why? Because he's resurrected. Ooh, glory be to God. Moving right along, we come to the letter C, which we'll say, and Hannah kind of touched on this, you know, without the cross, there, there could be no, no resurrection. The cross on which Jesus died was the catalyst for his resurrection. Can you imagine the pain, the suffering that Christ went through? I mean, and we're not even, we're not, we're not even talking about the cross or, or being on the cross, but just the whole process, the trial. They, they spit upon him. They plucked his beard. They, they did all kinds of horrible things. They, 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 they beat him to, to, to within an inch of his life. I mean, they just beat him and beat him and beat him. And uh, matter of fact, I did, years and years ago, I did a study on that. And, and uh, you know, a, a, a medical examiner's report on the flogging that Jesus took. And they said it was so intense that, that you could literally see his entrails from his back. And he's not even on the cross yet. I still have that medical examiner's report somewhere in my notes. 
But then they take him in that condition. And they, they, and they, they, you know, and he had to carry his own cross. I mean, you all, you're all aware of this, but you just need to hear it again sometimes. And he drugged that through the streets. And then when he got up there to Golgotha's Hill, they, they laid that cross down on the, on the ground. And with his back, just nothing but being filleted, they laid him down on it. And they put spikes in his hands. They, they put a wreath on his head of thorns. And then they stood that thing up. And as it fell down into the hole, his body jerked. That's what he went through. That's what had to happen before resurrection could take place. It was prophesied as such in many of the Old Testament prophets. It had to happen to him. And this, this, this is what just blows my mind. It just, it really does something to me. He, he, he hung on that cross and the abandonment that he felt. My God, my God, where art thou? Why hast thou forsaken me? So there's not only being abused and, 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 and crucified, but he was abandoned. What a horrible thing to go through. Lee Strobel wrote a, a novel book called Case for Christ. And Lee Strobel put it this way, I believe God chose the cross because history proves it is true. Whether I understand it all or not, it is what happened. History is clear, and the evidence given in many other publications is beyond reasonable doubt. Let me just take this cross a little bit further here. On that cruel, rugged cross, Jesus Christ cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This shows me the horribleness of my sin. I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about the horribleness of Mike Metzger's sin. It shows me that the horribleness of my sin could only be forgiven through such an inhumane manner, amen, as it happened to him. It had to happen to him so that I could be forgiven. Forgiveness. If you want to be resurrected, now you listen to me. If you want to be resurrected, you too must learn to forgive. You've got to learn it. Learn to forgive. Jesus said they, they know not what they do. Even when you don't understand it, Jesus said they know not what they do. Had people do things to me down through the years. They know not what they're doing, but I still have to forgive them. Now, now listen to me. No forgiveness on our part cancels out our eternal life with him. Let me say it again. No forgiveness on our part cancels out our eternal life with him. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. Jesus said, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. I know some of us folks, we have gone through some things and you've gone through probably some things so much <laughs> worse than what I've ever gone through in life. I know people that have gone through abuse and all kinds of things that, 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 that has been terrible. But Jesus still said, it, you've got to forgive men of their trespasses. You've got to forgive them of their wrong. And he doesn't just leave it there, but he goes on in the next verse and he says, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you of your trespasses. That's why he resurrected because he forgave me. That enables me to forgive you. But there's reciprocation here. It it enables you to forgive me even when you don't know what you've done wrong. My, I could take a run around the church on that one. Amen. T, moving right along. T is for timing. Timing is everything to God, and only uh, timing is only a factor when God is dealing with mankind because we know God is <laughs> eternal and He doesn't have a little clock up on the wall there, you know, like we do. But in dealing with mankind, there is a time frame. Matter of fact, we can see that in, in the many dispensations since the creation of the earth. You know, a dispensation is an allotted time where God chose with, with, uh, dealt with mankind in, 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 in reference to his law and, and their obedience and disobedience and how God dealt with that, how he judged them and so on. All these are called dispensations and so on. You know, the, the, the and, and I, th- I think this is so beautiful. The crucifixion ended the dispensation of law That was implemented at Mount Sinai. When Moses received those Ten Commandments, the law went into into gear, into motion. When Jesus died on that cross, the dispensation of law, that whole time frame was done. Amen. But when Jesus uh, rose, when he was resurrected, that started the new dispensation of grace. And please let me allow, allow me to tell you that we're getting close to the end of this dispensation of grace. It's coming to a close. Timing is everything. I, we have three more letters. I, I call this intrinsic. The resurrection is within the heart of every man that's been made in the image of God. It is in our nature to serve a higher deity. Why, we, we, why is there so many religions in the world? Because it's Satan's effort to get men off of, off of the, 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 the gospel message. I mean, there's so many religions out there, folks. That, I mean, there's millions of them. There's millions of gods out there. Uh, and we've shared all this with, you know, about India and all the different gods. When we were in Africa, there were so many different uh, uh, things they worshipped, you know, juju and, and witchcraft and all, all these things. I mean, it was everywhere. But the, the facts still remains. Amen. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith. Now, this isn't just me saying this. I'm just repeating. I'm quoting what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. That means, now just let me elaborate on this. That means that every other way is false. If he says, I'm the only way, that means every other way is false. You know, I, I heard a man, Bill Burkett, say years ago, you know, people are so sincere, but people can be sincerely wrong. Amen. Oh, options. What are our options? Well, there are none. You either believe in Christ or you spend eternity without him. Well, how can a loving God, how can a loving God send a person to hell? Let me just tell you here this morning, God doesn't send one person to hell. Matter of fact, if you read in, in Matthew 25, 41, I didn't write it down, but that's the address, Matthew 25, 41, that hell was created for the devil and his demons. Hell wasn't created for mankind. But those who reject Christ choose to follow Satan, and they will follow him right into the ulter, their ultimate destiny. Amen right in the pits of hell, in spite of what God has done for you and I in giving us his son, amen, so that we can avoid hell. And I don't serve God just to avoid hell. I serve God because I love him, amen. I just love him, amen, for what he's done in my life. Lastly, here this morning, N, it's non-negotiable. God has given us his word to govern our lives. Paul told the church at Rome in, in Romans 2.16, in that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to what? According to my gospel. So it really doesn't matter what you think or how you feel. It's according to this. So you need to think and feel in accordance to this. Amen, because he says, in that day when God shall judge the secrets of man's hearts, it'll be according to what? The word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. We're going to stand before him and we will be judged from his word. In Acts chapter four and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby men must be saved. Jesus Christ. Amen. In conclusion, as Hannah comes to the piano this morning, you know, when you look at Gematria, and of course, you know, just, just the way I think, I love the study. And as we've alluded to or explained earlier on, uh, Gematria is a system in which the Hebrew language uses letters to represent numbers. Those who study Gematria or, or biblical numerology, believe the hidden messages can be found and the significant numbers and so on throughout the Bible. You know, and, and, I, and that's true. It, you can really do that. But, you know, resurrection has 12 letters. And I thought, well, what is that in Gematria? You know, what, what is that? And th this is what I found. I got in a Hebrew dictionary to find this. Um, spiritual, the, the spiritual significance regarding the number 12 in the Bible it does seem to represent God's kingdom, perfect government, and divine authority. Since the number 12 is a symbolic representation of completeness, some followers of the Bible prophecy associate the number 
with the return of Jesus Christ. Once again, our resuscitation. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. E is for eternity. Every one of us in here, even the little babies that are born, even the one that's inside Jessica, amen, is going to be born for eternity. Salvation. It's the most important issue in your life. The urgency, the you in in resurrection, we are living closer to the end than ever before. Make sure you know your relationship with him. R for reliable. You can take his resurrection and rest your soul upon it. It's a fact. Another R for rock solid. You can can build your life and your home on the fact of his resurrection. That's the way we raised our kids. E for essential, you must believe in his resurrection in order to be saved. You've got to believe it or you can't be saved. See the cross. He had to die on a cross in order to be resurrected. T, the timing. You cannot keep waiting. There will be a time when there will be no more time. It'll just be over. I, it's intrinsic. You know, deep inside your spirit that Christ is everything, you're born with it. You're just born with it. Oh, options, there simply are none. You have no other choice in the matter. Either believe on Him or die lost. You know, it's interesting, and I can't wait till we get to this in our Bible study, but in John chapter 6, the bread of life discourse, I love it. That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. You know, and Jesus said, I am the, the, the manna that came from heaven. You know, partake of me and drink of my blood and all this. And they looked at him like, whoa, you are, you are not making sense. Matter of fact, the Bible says that many of, of his disciples followed him no more. And then Jesus looked at, at Peter and he says, well, what are you going to do? And Peter looked at Christ and said, you have the words of eternal life. There's no other place to go. That's my paraphrase. Thou, Lord, hast the words of eternal life. Amen. There's no other option. And lastly, it's non-negotiable. You either believe in His resurrection or you perish. Amen. And amen. Let's all stand, could we? Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. It's a good word. It's a good word. Lord, I thank you for the thoroughness. Lord, when I, when I think about this message as I was preaching it, I just think about its thoroughness. It just kind of covers everything that's involved in just being a Christian. And Lord, your resurrection, Lord, is the, is the icing on the cake. It's the seal. 
And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, there's so many, there's so many elements into being saved. And Lord, it wasn't meant to be complicated, but, but Lord, we, we, you know, mankind has made it complicated. That's just the way it is. And trying to find the truth, trying to understand what is really, uh, what you require of us is, is, is your children, Lord. It can be challenging at times. It, it simply can. But I thank you, Lord, that we can look at you like no other God. There's been other gods out there that, you know, that have died. Muhammad died. Confucius died. Buddha died. And they're still worshiped today. But my Jesus, he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He resurrected. Amen. He's the only God, the only God that, that has that divine quality. And because of that, I can know him and I can know him personally. Oh, hallelujah. What a blessed people we are to know the truth. And Father, for what you do in each of our lives, we will give you and you alone the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.